You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan K. Pryde, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Well, big wins for Republicans in Virginia and a big scare for Democrats in New Jersey in Tuesday's off-year elections. Chief correspondent at the Washington Post, Dan Baltz, is here to try to make it all make sense. Dan, welcome back to First Look. Jonathan, thank you. Nice to be back. So, Dan, as always in the news business, there's always something breaking um, before we can even talk about what I just said we were going to talk about. First, new jobs numbers came out moments ago. 535, I think, 535,000 new jobs created upward revisions um, in the pre- 531,000 jobs, upward revisions of the previous two unemployment numbers. Um, Good news, well, certainly good news for the country. Good news for the administration? Uh, They are very happy with that number. It exceeded the the forecasts or the expectations. Um, The upward revision from last month is also good news for them. And, And it comes on a day in which it looks as though the House may end up finally passing both the, uh, the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the so-called Build Back Better bill, the social spending and climate change initiative uh, that they've been working on for a long time. So uh, for the White House, this is a, this is a happy morning. Um, we will see where things go from here. We've, uh, we've so, seen so many twists and turns, we don't want to project out too far. Uh, but, right. but at this point, this is good news for the White House. Okay, so nice segue, Dan, into Build Back Better and the bipartisan infrastructure uh, uh, bill. Are we going to really see any sort of definitive action today? And by definitive, I mean votes. It, you know, Jonathan, I hesitate to, to say definitively that we will, but everything seems quite teed up for this to happen. Um, and they, you know, the House has come back in, they are debating the rule. Now, uh, this could be a long day of activity, but nonetheless, it does look like both bills are likely to be voted upon. Uh, and as you know, if they pass the infrastructure bill, it will go straight to the president's desk for signature. So that will be a, a fait accompli if that happens. The Build Back Better bill will then have to go to the Senate. Uh, and as we know, there are still um, a lot of questions about the, the shape of the bill as it comes out of the House and whether that will be acceptable in the Senate. The indications are obviously that it is not going to be acceptable. So uh, that bill has a long way to go yet, even if it passes today in the House. And that's the key thing. If the bipartisan infrastructure bill is passed by the House today, it goes right to the president for his signature and becomes law. Um, how much did the elections in for Virginia governor and New Jersey governor, where Democrats lost, uh, lost the chance of holding on to the, the governorship in Virginia and almost lost the governorship in New Jersey. How much of that played into the action that we're now seeing on those two bills on Capitol Hill? I don't think there's any question that the, uh, that the losses in Virginia and the, and the, the scare in New Jersey um, pushed Democrats in Congress to move as rapidly as they possibly could to get these bills uh, on the floor of the House and, and perhaps passed. Uh, I think that there was an imperative after what happened Tuesday uh, that they had to they had to stop dithering uh, and begin acting uh, 
um, in in defense of themselves and to be able to have something that they could take back to the country uh, as they head into the midterm election next year, which, as we know, is likely to be a very tough year. Mm-hmm. Very likely to be a tough year. All right, Dan, let's talk about uh, Virginia. A Republican Glenn Youngkin beat uh, Democrat Terry McAuliffe, who's a former governor of Virginia seeking a non-consecutive second term as governor, because in Virginia you can only serve one term as governor. But but Youngkin's ability to embrace the Trump voter while keep the Trump base while keeping Donald Trump himself at arm's length. Do you think that that is going to be the template, the new template for Republicans? around the country uh, to get them from being candidates to being elected officials? I I think they hope it will be. And uh, in some cases, it may well be. But I don't think it's something that you can apply to every race next year. I mean, one of the things uh, is that Youngkin did not face a primary election. This was he was nominated at a convention and the dynamics of a convention are different than a primary. Uh, What we're seeing in some states where there are primaries Uh, is that there is a competition to out-Trump one another uh, among the Republicans seeking the nomination. So um, this will have to play out race by race, but certainly Youngkin found the formula in Virginia. Um, He accepted quite happily the endorsement from the former president. He didn't do anything to, in essence, disrespect the president, and yet he tried to keep the president at arm's length. The president obviously never came in to campaign for him or with him. Um, And so he was able, as he put it, to have a coalition of of, uh, never Trumpers, forever Trumpers, uh, and everybody else that he could pull together. So it was an effective strategy on his part, and I think you have to give him and his campaign credit for the way they manage this, but I don't know that you can apply it to all the races that we're gonna see next year. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about New Jersey. You know, I interviewed Governor Murphy on my on my MSNBC show. He was up in the polls. He was supposed to breeze to reelection and that that didn't happen. And it's a, it was a scare, it is a scare for Democrats because President Biden won New Jersey just last year by 16 percentage points. Um, the guy that Phil Murphy, Governor Murphy was running against, um, Republican challenger Jack Chitterelli, most people, at least outside New Jersey, had never heard of him before. So considering Murphy is a relatively popular governor in New Jersey, was his near defeat a commentary on the president and the Democratic Party? Well, I think it's a commentary certainly on the president and the state of the presidency. Um, and to some extent, the Democratic Party. Um, the, the president's approval ratings have, you know, have gone underwater over the last three, four months. Um, and that's a drag on all Democrats running. I mean, the national mood sets the tone for uh, all elections. And, and if, if the president's approval ratings next year are as low as they are this year, uh, Democrats are going to uh, suffer significant losses. I think there's another factor in this, Jonathan, which is interesting, which is both in New Jersey and in Virginia, the Republican candidates were outsiders. They were they were not, uh, you know, traditional politicians. 
And at a time when there is frustration in the country and unease in the country and, and uh, in certain places, anger in the country, um, that that instinct for change to throw out whoever is in power or who appears to be in power um, and go with something different can be very powerful. So uh, I think that also contributed both in New Jersey and in Virginia. You know what? There's a tweet from Stuart Stevens, who is you know, legendary Republican political, Republican strategist, you know, has helped, you know, presidents, Republican presidents, George W. Bush, um, win the White House. Here's a tweet that he put out. I'd love to get your your view. He tweeted, Dow is over 36,000. Unemployment has dropped from 6.33 in January to 4.8. Over 5 million jobs added, a, a record, 220 million vaccines in 10 months, and only 30% of the con of country think U.S. is on right track. The Democratic Party has a huge messaging problem. Is it messaging? Well, it's partly messaging, Jonathan, uh, but it's also partly substance. Um, as, as good as those numbers sound, and they are good, um, that's not necessarily the lives that many people are living. Uh, and people draw their own conclusions about the state of the country from a lot of different factors, including their own perceptions of how things are going, and, and they're not following necessarily those kinds of numbers. So um, I, I think that the Democrats do have a messaging problem, um, but that messaging problem grows out of the fact that what they are trying to do is both very, very big and very, very complicated and has a lot of different elements in it. Um, you would be hard pressed to sum up what is in that Build Back Better bill, which is why the president always talks about it as the Build Back Better bill, as opposed to the child tax credit bill or the universal pre-K bill. Um, all of those things are individually popular, but it's hard to develop a clear message on that. And I think that's one reason, Jonathan, that the, the Democrats feel that the important thing is to get these passed and to have these benefits begin to flow to people and that then people will feel as though something is being done on their behalf. Now, that also is a big bet. We don't know whether that will, in fact, be the case when, when, when and if these bills finally do pass. But, um, but I think it's a combination of messaging uh, and that they're, they're trying to do so much at once that it's hard to explain. Um, real quickly, because um, as always, Dan, when you and I get to talking, the time just flies. And, and we run out of time, but I just, real, real quickly, which result was worse for Democrats? Losing the Virginia governor's race or barely hanging on to the New Jersey uh, governor's race? Jonathan, it's impossible for me to be able to split the difference on those two. I, I think either one was bad, and I think the combination of it is, and you know, we always read too much, or we tend to read too much into these off-year elections, but I think there's no doubt that the combination of those uh, puts it squarely on, on the backs of the Democrats that they're going to have to figure out something different and they're going to have to change the national mood if they're going to protect those very slim majorities that they have in the, in the House and the Senate. All right, Dan Baltz, chief correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you for coming back to First Look. Have a good... Uh, <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> have a great weekend. Thanks, Jonathan. You too. <laughs> Oh, gosh, we're going to keep the conversation going with our Opinions Roundtable in just a sec. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my colleagues, Donna Edwards and George Will. Donna, George, welcome back to First Look. Glad to be with you. Great to be with you. 
so George, since you're fighting with the sun, let me start with <laughs> start with you. Um, let, let me get your view on um, the the big jobs number that just came out that came out this morning. Five hundred thirty one thousand jobs added to the added to the economy, uh, bigger than um, what the economists had forecasted. Good news for the country. Good news for the president. It's good news for the country, certainly, and partly I think uh, companies, Walmart and others, are gearing up for the Christmas season. Some of these may be temporary, but that doesn't matter. And the jobs are there, and, and we should all rejoice. Uh, for the president, I don't think it, it matters very much. I, I think one of the great, often repeated, generally false assertions about American politics is that the American people vote their pocketbooks. I think they've, they're much more complicated creatures than that. Oh, well, I, I just got an education there because I'm one of those people who's like, the American people vote their pocketbooks. We've seen it time and time again. Um, Donna, let me read you um, the tweet that Stuart Stevens um, put out this morning. Stuart Stevens, legendary Republican uh, strategist. He, he, he says, you know, the Dow is over 36,000. Unemployment has dropped over the last, since January to 4.8%. 5 million jobs created, 220 million vaccine doses out in 10 months, and yet only 30% of the American people think that the, the country is on the right track. Now, obviously I'm paraphrasing because it's a long tweet, but his main, the last line is key. The Demo Democratic Party has a huge messaging problem. Isn't he right? Isn't Stuart Stevens right on this point? Well, I don't know if it's a messaging problem, but we do need to talk about what is going on for real in the economy and i think in the in the silence in the absence of you know democrats being able to share for, with the american public about you know what's really going on in the economy what jobs are being created what's even in their um economic plans then that silence gets filled by um the nonsense and so um, I would say to Democrats, you know, open your mouths, um, celebrate, pat yourselves on the back, talk to the American public about uh, what you're doing and what's going on in the economy. And if that's a messaging problem, then it is. But I think it's just like communicate what you do, you're doing. And so then the action that's, that, that seems to be happening on the Hill when it comes to Build Back Better, but also the bipartisan infrastructure uh, plan bill, do you think that if they actually vote on on both those things, but particularly infrastructure, because if the House votes on it and passes it, it goes right to the president for his signature and becomes the law of the land. Is that essential to talking about what the administration is doing or what Democrats Well, I'd doing? rather talk about, I, I think it's important to talk about what's in it. You know, so for example, if you're a parent in my state of Maryland, and you're uh, getting uh, pre-kindergarten, you're probably saving $15,000 a year um, back into your pocket that you would otherwise pay for childcare. And I, I think uh, it's gonna be important to make sure that Americans really know um, what, they're, what they're getting. I mean, what was the value of all of this fight if you're not gonna share with the American people um, what's in it? I, I only wish that this Friday where there's gonna be a vote on infrastructure, it goes to the president's desk, there's gonna be a vote on the social safety net programs. Um, we have good uh, jobs numbers. This Friday should have been last Friday going into Tuesday's election. All right, so let's talk about Tuesday, Tuesday's election. And with, I'll start with you, George, but I would love to get both of your takes on the results in Virginia and the votes 
in New Jersey. George, you go first. Well, New Jersey, I think, uh, expressed a kind of general dyspepsia on the part of the American people who, again, you can quote all your jobs numbers you want. They do, they do not believe the country's on the right track. In Virginia, clearly education was a great uh, issue. And I think Donna wants the Democrats to open their mouths and, and defend their accomplishments. I think a section of the Democratic Party, the dominating faction, the progressive faction, the tone setting faction should close its mouth. Uh, I think when when people are hectored incessantly and by Democrats saying the country you love is not lovable, it was founded in racism, it's still steeped in racism. And by the way, if you object to this description, you're a racist and we're gonna teach your children this in school. And if you show up at the school board to complain, we're gonna get the attorney general to look askance at you as perhaps domestic terrorists. This uh, turns off a lot of people, it makes them irritable to be told this. Uh, particularly a lot of suburban women, many of whom are, uh, of course, birthing people, or as progressives would like to say, uh, uh, used to say mothers. So maybe the Democratic Party should should quit lecturing people in this tone of voice and should uh, go back to adopting the English language as used by most voters. Wow. I, I, I am so... <laughs> Donna... Go right ahead, because and, and Donna, it's perfect to have you follow George because you wrote a column about the Virginia Virginia governor's race and what it was really about. So I'd love for you to talk about that in response to um, Professor Will. Well, first of all, I think it's a fiction to say that um, Glenn Youngkin ran a uh, a campaign on education. He really didn't have an education platform, but he used. Um, the context of education um, to really play to what I think was, you know, sort of race baiting in that um, in that campaign, and it worked for a section of the um, of the electorate that turned out to vote. But I also think that you know it's really important for Democrats to be really clear. I mean, Democrats have plans on education. There are forward thinking um, ideas. Talk about the future and not about the past. Talk about um, people's lives. And I don't think that's about lecturing uh, folks, but I, it, you do have to meet people where they are and you can't tell them that um, parents don't have any control of their education. I think if somebody told me that as a parent, I'd be really ticked off. Um, and so, uh, you know, you have to meet voters where they are and pivot to what you want to do. And I think that that was a, you know, a big failure um, in Virginia. But look, the reality is that um, Democrats are going to have something to run on and they need to run on it and they need to run on accomplishments and things that they are delivering uh, for the American people. And that's not about lecturing, but it is about, you know, being very clear about what is being delivered for the American people. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's going to work in the midterms. It might, but if they stand a chance at all, um, they are going to have to go out on the road, pass this thing, get it signed, you know, celebrate and go out on the road and use this next year um, to uh, to share that with the American people. We should know what's in that bill. And if Democrats don't know what's in it, then they're going to have a hard time selling it to the American people. Um, uh, I want to read. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, George. Wait, wait, wait. During the pandemic, when there was a lot of virtual learning, uh, young students in, uh, say, primary school turned on their computers and their parents heard 
what they were being taught, and they didn't like a lot of it. I have four grandchildren in the Montgomery County Public Schools. All of them are incessantly uh, harangued about the racism of the country, one of whom was told by his teacher, Abraham Lincoln loved slavery. Now, the teacher who said that is either invincibly ignorant or politically cynical. In any case, that teacher shouldn't be teaching you. Now, you do that to people and they hear this, Parents are going to get irritated and they're going to take their irritation to the polls. You can sign all the infrastructure bills you want. That's not going to move people who think their children are being abused. Well, I mean, look, I think it, I think it's important for both um, politicians, but also for our educators uh, to learn how to teach race in a way um, that people understand our history. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I think um, as Democrats, um, particularly white Democrats, get actually afraid of talking about race. Well, we have to be open and honest with the American people about our own history and then figure out how we build on that history to create you know, a strong future. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making that clear in the classroom in a way that is age appropriate for students from uh, kindergarten to, um, to through high school. You, you know, on this, I scribbled down this question before this part of the conversation, but now it's even more relevant. George, I'm just wondering, how can we talk about race, which permeates everything, whether you like it or not, in this country? How can we talk about it in ways that are honest and it's uncomfortable, but people don't come away from the conversation feeling, as you said, irritated or like they're being lectured to? Is that even possible? I, first of all, I dispute your premise that race permeates everything. I don't think most Americans go through but life it, with race on their mind from one end of the day to the other. It's just well, not it just case. depends on what side of the coin you're on. But it may, but uh, maybe the the bubble within which the Washington Post and those who assemble it live might not be quite representative of the country as a whole. Donna, if I heard you right, not fair, see, George. But go on. <clears throat> if I heard go you on, right, George. Donna, you were saying that there was an undertone of racism in the Yunkin campaign. Now, a, a Yunkin voter hears that and says, I'm being accused of being a racist. Maybe people, again, ought to stop doing that. This casual assumption that A, race is the national obsession, and B, an awful lot of people are racist, and if they deny it, that proves they're racist because they have false consciousness. It, it, if, if you Keep doubling down on this, my Democratic friends. You're, you're going to have a lot more nights like last Tuesday's nights. So if I'm hearing this right, if I'm hearing this right, Donna, the argument that George just, just laid out, it's Glenn Youngkin can run the campaign that he just ran. And if Democrats, if Democratic candidates call it out and call it out for what it is, um, <laughs> you know, well, what they shouldn't do that because then people will get mad and, and they will lose. Should Democrats just seed the field when a candidate, candidate like Glenn Youngkin runs the race that he just successfully ran? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, for some of us, race is a part of our lives. Um, uh, driving, a, my son driving a car walking into a store and being followed around. These are actually things that are part of people's lives. And if we can't unpack that, then what does that say to, about us as, you know, as Americans about our willingness 
um, to work toward a more perfect union. And so we have to figure this out. And I think leaders have to be you know, willing to have that conversation instead of using it as a cudgel um, when it comes to uh, to voters, either either by playing to their fears or um, by throwing it in their face. I mean, neither of those things I think works to help us uh, help us move forward. And so I, I guess I I want leaders who are able to unpack this in a way that doesn't offend but challenges our sense of right and wrong. Let me read um, one more uh, thing, John. Uh, James Carville, uh, uh, Democrat in good standing, one last I checked. George, let me stop you. George, let me stop you because that's exactly where I was going. I was just about to read James Carville's full full quote so so folks can understand it and get both of your reactions. And George, I was actually going to come to you, start with you on it. This is what James Carville said on PBS NewsHour. He said, what went wrong is just stupid wokeness. Don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey, look at Long Island, look at Buffalo, look at Minneapolis, even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, this defund the police lunacy, this take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean that people see that. Some of these people need to go to a quote, woke detox center or something. He added, they're expressing a language that people just don't use and there's backlash and a frustration at that. George, is he right? Yes, next. <laughs> talk, talk further. Well, well he's, he's saying what I said a moment ago, watch your language. Uh, words matter in politics and they come back to haunt you. If there's been a more destructive political slogan in the last 50 years than defund the police, I can't think of what it was. Again, it, it ought to be, you said, Jonathan said a moment ago, uh, describing the Yunkin campaign uh, in, in clearly, if I may say, a sort of dog whistle, to use language of which uh, some people are fond. You, you were suggesting that Yunkin ran a racist campaign. Now, it, you can't do that without implicitly calling his voters racist. And voters, I'm telling you, get irritated. They find it annoying and they take their annoyance to the polls. Um. I don't think I was Look, whistling at all. Look, Donna, I, I, is, I is James Carville? Wait, Donna, the, the question to you is, and you can respond, is James Carville wrong? I don't think he's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do, uh, but listen, I do think that there is, you know, truth in, um, I mean, you can't beat people over the head with your, you know, your message or your ideology. But we have to have leaders who are willing to have really difficult conversations uh, with voters. And the fact that one campaign or the other found a sliver of the electorate that was moved by turning Toni Morrison into the 2021 welfare queen says more about that candidate and the campaign, not about his voters, but that he was able to use that um, to, you know, to carve out that one or two percent um, that could put him over the top. Now, let me tell you, I think that Terry McAuliffe in Virginia had, you know, a huge unforced error in describing the role of parents in their education, whether it was taken out of context or not. And so you can't, you also can't run campaigns where you're telling voters over and over again that they're wrong. 
Um, voters don't like to hear that. And when they go to the polls, they don't like to vote for people who are telling them that they're wrong. Amen. I agree with all of that. Can, can I say one more thing about the election, Jonathan, that I think is being sure. missed? Sure. These events tend to cascade, and those who succeed get more success because they succeeded. This is going to encourage the results Tuesday night, some Democratic retirements. Uh, in the House particularly. People are going to look at that and say, this is not an atmosphere I want to run in. And besides, we're really up to be in the minority. And being in the minority in the House is really not fun. Furthermore, this is going to help Republican recruitments for the Senate. They are particularly interested in trying to entice three Republican governors into running for the Senate. Hogan in Maryland, Sununu in New Hampshire, and Ducey in Arizona. If one or more of them is encouraged to and makes the decision to run, that will be one of the really consequential reverberations of Tuesday night. And so it's already a foregone conclusion for a lot of people that the Democrats are, are going to lose control uh, of the House in the 2022 midterm elections. But should Donna, should Democrats, because of the Tuesday, because of Tuesday's elections, should they start worrying that the Senate now is not just in play, but could also go the way that um, the House is presumed to be going. Look, I think Tuesday means that Democrats, whether they're in the House in this, or the Senate, have to recalibrate and recalibrate seriously and, um, and, and, and figure out ways in which, um, even though it's a long shot, that they can parlay what is going on now in an, you know, an improving you know, economy. And I do think people care about what's in their, uh, what's in their wallet when they, um, you know, when they go to the grocery store, when they buy gas, um, you know, whether they have a job that pays them a decent wage. And if Democrats can't take what they've done over this last year or what they will complete doing this year and parlay that into uh, the election, then yes, there are going to be, be losses. But, you know, I wouldn't count mm -hmm. them out yet, but history is not in their favor. Right. And with that, this incredible conversation has to stop here. Donna Edwards, George Will, um, thank you very, very much for coming back to First Look. Have a great weekend. You do. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.